Hello and welcome along to the latest episode of the Manchester's Red podcast from the Manchester Evening News. I'm today's host, George Smith, and I'm delighted to be joined by our Chief Manchester United writer, Samuel Luckhurst, and fellow United writer, Rich Fay. How are we doing this uh, this Monday lunchtime, chaps? I think, as, as I just said, we're, we're both busy, both busy today uh, with, with a hell of a lot going on. It's not even, uh, it, it's, it's just gone one o'clock, so uh, it, it feels like we've done a full day already, but there's, there's still, there's, there's probably still more to come come from this uh, very busy day so far. Rich? Yeah, a, yeah, a bit of a manic Monday, isn't it? Um, I'm sure Sam is looking forward to actually being stuck on a plane at the end of the week where he can have a bit of a break and a, and a relax. <laughs> but uh, yeah, this is what United fans wanted. I guess maybe be careful what you wish for because we were complaining that it's been a bit quiet over the last few weeks. So yeah, it's all coming at once. And like you said, we'll get through it on today's pod. Yeah, it certainly is. And obviously now we're into week two of the Eric Ten Hag era at Old Trafford and the fourth full week of the transfer window. Still no new signings, but it seemingly he's going to change very, very soon. And that leads us into our first talking point, and that is of Christian Eriksen. We understand that United have reached a deal in principle with the Denmark International to sign for the club on a three-year contract. Samuel, you've been over this story in the last hour or so. What can you can you bring us on the latest on that? Uh, not, not much more from what you just said there, George. I mean, as, as, as you say, it's, it's verbally agreed. I can't see that collapsing or being in jeopardy at all. Of course, he'll have to, to undergo his medical and maybe that will be a little bit more stringent given uh, the, what, what happened to him during the Euros last year when, when Denmark played, played against Finland. But thankfully, he's, it's, it's, I mean, it's tremendous that he's been able to, um, to, to resume his career, uh, never mind the productive spell he had for Brentford during those three months last season. He, he was an inspired signing for them. Um, understandably, they wanted to keep him. But it's it's an interesting move by, by Ten Hag in that a few years ago, when, when Tottenham were really like desperate not to lose Ericsson on a free, they, they invited United to bid for him. United suspects at the time that Real Madrid were lobbying Tottenham to do that so that if United signed Ericsson, it would create a domino effect and Paul Pogba might have ended up at Real Madrid. In the end, United prioritised keeping Pogba over going for Ericsson and and Ericsson ended up in in Italy with Inter Milan. I think Real Madrid wanted him in 2018 as well. I think they made quite a substantial offer that that Tottenham rejected. He's been been over the last decade, um, he's he's been a a very, very good player, um, part of the best Tottenham team in the last 30 years. He's a player who's aligned with Ten Hag's approach and style as well. It'll be interesting to see what role he occupies specifically, whether it's a regular role, which would be quite um, quite the step up, given that, as, as I said last year, he was he, he literally was close to death. Uh, thankfully, uh, they, they managed to revive him, and never mind the fact that he's actually been able to resume his career. It's it's, it's been a remarkable time in his um, in his life, but. When he comes to coming to United, coming into a rebuild, is he a, is he a certain starter, or does he have more of a um, a more involved Juan Mata role, if you like? Juan Mata wasn't involved very much at all in his last two years at United, but Ericsson occupying a rotational role where he comes into games, where he maybe comes off the bench and has an impact, and he's he's obviously got that set piece prowess. It, it does make a lot of sense on a lot of levels. Um, you know, he's, he's Premier League proven. As I said, he was part of the best Tottenham team in the last 30 years, maybe longer than that even. 
and United aren't having to pay a fee for him either. So it, it does look like a pretty astute piece of business, um, even though you shouldn't necessarily judge a player on the back of three good months for Brentford, I'd argue. But as I said, I think that you know Ten Hag is clearly being backed with players here at the moment who are aligned with his style and his approach to, to football and what he wants them. And United are happy to go along with him. And in, in the case of Ericsson, he, he's not an Ajax player. He's not Dutch, but of course he has played for Ajax and he did train with Ajax earlier this year. So he is another player who is familiar to Ten Hag. Yeah, and Rich, just to bring you in on this, obviously, as Samuel said, his performances at Brentford were impressive over the last three months or so. But for Tottenham, he was one of their most consistent performers for several years. And as Samuel also said, it's a free transfer. It's pretty risk-free. All the pointers suggest that he's going to be in direct competition with Bruno Fernandes for that number 10 spot. But if United failed to get a right winger in, could he perhaps play on the right-hand side? He did it quite a bit for Tottenham, but more of a 4-2-3-1 opposed to a high attacking winger in 4-3-3. Where do you see him slotting in? Yeah, I mean, it's interesting you said they're the right wing, right wing role. You know, United still do want to address that this summer if they can. Of course, you've got Ahmad and Palestri there who hopefully could in the future be sort of options there, but at this moment in time still look a little raw. And, you know, Ericsson in this time at Brentford, it was only Odegaard and De Bruyne who made more chances than him. I mean, he's a superb player. He's got that ability. And it's just about having someone who really isn't a drop-down quality on the bench anymore because we've seen it last season, even the season before, that Bruno Fernandes was almost undroppable just because the drop-off in quality when he wasn't on the pitch was, was so massive. And obviously we saw Juan Mata and what he could do there in the last few games of the season. And you were wondering why was he never given number 10? Because he certainly could have offered more than, than he was given. And I think that Ten Hag maybe looked at that and realised that, you know, you don't have to presume Bruno Fernandes is going to start every game. There needs to be someone who can come in and actually challenge him. And worst case, I think it'll bring the best out of Bruno Fernandes again. We saw Luke Shaw, his form was world-class when Alex Teller signed and he had actual competition. And for once, his position was in jeopardy. And Bruno Fernandes has never had that. Ever since his debut, really, he has just established himself as a key player for United. He's had spells where he has been out of the team, but you've always thought that he is just coming back, you know, and he had too much too soon, really, at United. I do expect that he will play predominantly you know, that sort of Juan Mata reserve attacking midfield position. But like you said, the two wide areas as well, he's got the ability to do it. But he could even drop deeper and against certain opposition, you could almost have him as a deep line playmaker. You know, he's got so many options up his up his sleeve that, you know, like you said, it's a free hit and it's going to be exciting to see where he plays. But I would still expect him to predominantly be that that sort of number 10 reserve. You would think so. And I actually uh, read only last week about Antonio Conte said that he is capable of playing deeper. He trialled it into Milan and it did work. So that could be an option Ten Hag looks to utilise. But one of the questions United fans are probably asking themselves now is, will he be playing alongside Cristiano Ronaldo next season? Um, reports emerged over the weekend that apparently Ronaldo wants to leave Old Trafford. Um, a report by a national newspaper came out on Saturday suggesting that United once again reiterated their stance that he's not for sale. They want to keep hold of him. Ten Hag sees him as a key figure in his plans. Samuel, it's really not the news Eric Ten Hag would have wanted at the start of his second week in, in pre-season, is it? Sorry about that. Um, not at all. It's another parallel with 2019 when Paul Pogba at least actually went public and with his declaration that he wanted to leave. In Ronaldo's case, it was very, very strategic. I mean, there was something quite admirable about the way it 
it came out in the <clears throat> clearly i mean even inspector cluso would be able to deduce who the source was of that story on on saturday given the byline and the publication and all it did was um you know two days before ronaldo's due back in for pre-season training it sets the news agenda for the next week um never mind the next day as soon as that story came out you wondered is he even going to be turning up on monday and lo and behold he hasn't turned up united were quite quick and early this morning to tell us that uh he was he was absent due to family reasons and they'd uh, they'd accepted that explanation literally every other international whether it was Facundo Palestri, Eric Bailly, Harry Maguire, Hannibal Meshbury, you name it. If they were playing on for their for their country last month and they're a Man United player, they were back at Carrington today. So the fact that Ronaldo was the only one missing, already that's going to set alarm bells after the Saturday story. And now we've got this build-up to the, um, the announcement of the tour squad on Friday as to whether he's actually going to be in that tour squad. And even then, in, in this period, building up to that, will he actually be at Carrington? United haven't clarified when he's due back. Uh, they've not clarified when he made the request uh, to, 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 to not turn up today due to family reasons. So tomorrow, immediately, the question is, is he turning up today? And then if he's not turning up on Tuesday and they still don't say when he's turning up, it is, you know, when is he turning up? Is he ever going to turn up for training? Um, I mean, Ronaldo's got to be careful for his own image because although the, the family reasons explanation, you have to take at face value and you have to treat sensitively for um, for the obvious reason as well where he's concerned, uh, there will come a point where supporters in particular will just find it all rather unbelievable and, and rather convenient that he's not available to train for United while simultaneously wanting out of the club. We've seen it before. We've, we've spoken, Rich and I, about uh, Lukaku being taken from continent to continent by United just as a, a spare piece of uh, hand luggage, if you like, and, and having no involvement whatsoever in pre-season. Um, do United want that kind of presence um, you know, on, on tour with them when they're trying to you know, get, get the mood lifted in the camp and get get ready for the new season it's it's going to be a, a big decision for ten hard to take if, if ronaldo is indeed available to make uh, that trip to thailand on on friday but it this was all rather inevitable um just just because united didn't qualify for the champions league next season uh, ronaldo's played in that competition 19 seasons running the last time he played in the europa league he was a 17 year old at sporting lisbon and it was still called the uefa cup it's it's not a competition that anyone wants to be in, let's face it. But if you're Ronaldo and you're a player who at one point actually monopolised that competition as well, winning it as often as he did with Real Madrid, uh, your instinct is going to be to see where's, where's my exit route here. And United are still pretty reasonably confident of keeping him just because they don't think there's an obvious buyer out there at the moment. But what I would say is that I think if, if a player is in that situation, the agent you want to make the impossible possible is George Mendes. Uh, I think there have been other players in the past who haven't necessarily been attached to Mendes or represented by him. And the feeling or the word coming out has been, well, if, if Mendes was representing the player, he'd have got transferred by this point. Bruno Fernandes was an example a few years ago in that summer when uh, United 
liked him, admired him, but didn't move for him. City had a look at him. Tottenham tried to sign him and the transfer didn't materialise. As soon as Mendes got involved in quite an informal role in the January, he ended up joining United, uh, who were extremely dismissive of him in the summer and and the speculation speculation surrounding uh, Fernandes. So that's, you know, Mendes does have the Midas touch in that sense. And there's still a hell of a lot of time for him to be able to facilitate a transfer for Ronaldo to a club who who will be playing Champions League next season. It, it's it, obviously if he was to be on the move again this summer, it's not going to be as seismic or as significant as when he rejoined United last year. I suppose the only issue United will have is that the, the timing of it. Of course, it is strategic. They would have liked much more due notice, but. As far as I understand it, at the end of the season, Ronaldo was not absolutely hell-bent on leaving United. It's not like he's been completely tawdry over the timing of this this story coming out. There have been developments in the summer that have, have prompted this. Um, I, I think, I don't know when this podcast will go out, but I think there's a story I'm, I'm due to do tomorrow on that, or it's due to go live tomorrow, so I don't want to speak <laughs> too much about it before it actually um, goes online. But the, the, the stuff about him, him being unhappy about uh, the inactivity in the transfer market is, is certainly one of one of his um, one of his issues, and one of the issues that have driven him to to want a, a transfer. An inactivity in the market, Rich. Should Ronaldo depart this summer, obviously, all remains to be seen on that. They already needed a striker, ideally. Chances are they're now going to need two if Cristiano goes. And what a man they've got to replace there. It's not exactly an average striker that you're looking to replace. Is there anybody that stands out in your mind who you think would be a realistic candidate to come in and replace him? You think United could realistically move forward this summer? Well, the two they wanted have already signed for Liverpool and Man City, so it's going to be very difficult to get any any of the scraps, you know, in the, in the summer window. I think that one way that you can combat it is to sign a right-sided attacker, try and go back to that sort of fluid front three we saw a couple of seasons ago. Okay, it's not going to be a strike force that fires you to the title, but if you had Sancho, Rashford, someone like Anthony, and then you've got Elanga, dare I say, Marshall as your backups, you'll be able to get by and might be able to get into the top four by just having that front three who are always moving, always got an eye for goal. In terms of who actually can come in and replace Ronaldo, I mean, it's Cristiano Ronaldo, so no one can replace him. But I think that you've just got to... I mean, United always boast that they've got this amazing scouting database, so surely they should have some others lined up that they know they've, they've got an eye on. But the truth is that Nunes and Haaland are such massive coups for the two biggest rivals that anyone else sort of does seem like, you know, well, they just are by United's approach, not the ones they wanted originally. So you wonder, do you even go for a fallback if the long-term plan is still to sign someone who is, you know, going to be the next generational striker, someone who in a year's time, there might be the new Harland about who, who fans want. So, I can't see anyone who jumps out for me at the moment. I mean, we knew, was it back in March, that they were still keeping tabs on Moussa Dembele at Lyon. He's not someone who comes in and scores loads of goals in the Premier League. They've monitored Artan Danjuma, who played predominantly as a striker last season for Villarreal. He's got a very cheap release clause that's activated this summer. But I do think that United's best way of replacing him and offsetting him immediately would just be getting another versatile forward in. Like you said, maybe two if you can do it, but at least one. At least just go for Anthony then because you, you have to get that firepower. And I think it's just about having a strike force that that is more versatile. And of course, you could always argue that 
Yes, Ten Hag's last team at Ajax was built around Haller as this main focal point in attack. But the first Ajax team he built was all about movement, about using false nines. He used to, you know, have Donny van der Beek making runs from deep. You could maybe use van der Beek, Eriksen or, or Fernandes as a false nine. I know it's just basically a buzzword, but there, there, there are possibilities at the club that I think he'll he'll look to explore and regardless of what's happening with Ronaldo it's something he needs to address in preseason anyway he n- needs to look at a way to play next season without Ronaldo because even if he stays he can't be playing every single game and you know you've got this five substitution rule coming in at the Premier League as well so I think that for my suggestion it would probably be to get in that versatile forward who plays that wide but has a real eye for goal and almost just try and get by for a season if you can and then go for whoever the, the real top striker is then. Hope you're in a position to to lure them because, like I said, they've they've already missed out on the two they wanted. Yeah, certainly have Darwin Nunes and Erling Haaland obviously would have been the, the ideal candidate to replace Ronaldo, but obviously those ships have sailed. Um, on a more positive note, Tyrell Malassia seems like his deal's coming along nicely. Looks like he will soon become a Manchester United player. Uh, Frankie de Jong, we reported last week that United have agreed a fee with Barcelona for him. Uh, interesting development over the weekend with Juan Laporte coming out and saying that they've got no intention of selling him. Samuel, do you think that's just tactic talk from Barcelona? Yeah, I was I was told about that. I hadn't I hadn't seen the quotes themselves. I think I was enjoying the, the tennis on Saturday night or, or something that was much more worth my time than what Juan Laporta was saying about a player that he's been trying to sell for the last last seven or eight weeks. I, I think someone suggested that Laporta has said has come out with this almost near verbatim in the past. <clears throat> Excuse me, with players, <clears throat> bit of a frog in my throat there. Uh, players who in the end, uh, left Barcelona. Um, another suggestion was that this was his way of essentially telling, it was it was a coded message to United that actually Barcelona want, want more money now in terms of add-ons. Uh, it, it, it will be a tactic. Um, I've I've said before, like with, with De Jong, there was a lot of, there, there were some pretty steep hurdles there to get over um, in order to get that deal done. And, all of a sudden, it, the fact that the the player doesn't actually want to play for United doesn't look like the most um, doesn't look like the steepest of the hurdles. But that in itself was and is a problem. Whether he if he joins United and if he starts performing poorly at one point or another, or he looks a bit flaky, it's easy just to conclude say, well, look, he, he didn't want to join you in the first place. Why did you pursue him? Um, Barcelona, when it I know they've obviously yeah, financial situation. They do need to get rid of players, but they still try to drive a hard bargain. Um, you know, and, and especially where United are concerned, if United are involved, they will try and extract and rinse them for as, as many uh, you know pennies, pounds, euro cents as, as they can get because it's Man United, and they sense the desperation. And, and every club is is like that. That that's another reason why the Ericsson deal. Um, for United, it's, it's it's quite a relief in that there's no there's no club to deal with. There's just the agent. Although it was, it was just that the agent was trying to make him United's highest play, paid player, which is a yeah. I mean, if if true, absolutely ridiculous demand. Um, I mean, Ericsson was just fortunate that United want him, however bad they might be. So with with De Jong, I mean, you're tired of it, George. Rich is tired of it. I'm tired of it. It, it, it is really, really tedious. I mean, compared to the the Fabregas situation, where again there, there are parallels with it, 
Fabregas looking, you know, trying to um, do a bit of research on it or just brushing up on my memory at the weekend. It didn't even last four weeks, and, and that felt like it lasted four years at the time. So the, the way it's going, you know, we, we've we've got four days until United fly off to Thailand, and although you know we've got all the positive, heard all the positive noise about a deal for Dion progressing, hopefully being finalised soon. Um, and, and the fee actually being agreed, there was United did stress to me last week that there was still some, you know, some some challenging hurdles. That that wasn't the phrase they used, but it was something along those lines anyway uh, for them to to navigate before they before they got that that deal done. Um, and I mean, Deong's agent's actually at Carrington today, but he seems happy enough just posting photos of himself with Donny Van der Beek and, and, and Victor Lindelof. So. I mean, that's just maybe another reason not to go for Dion because that is not a very good hit rate just going off the off the agent alone. But that yeah, they do want Dion, obviously. Yeah, they do want him, and of course, it's been going on now for best part of two months, very nearly. And Rich, we've said many times, I think the three of us said a week last Friday that we did feel it was just be a matter of when rather than if. From your own personal perspective, do you think it is a deal they still will get done, regardless of how long it may still drag on for? Yeah, and especially if they want to move the narrative on from Ronaldo, you you try secure your top target and act like you've still been triumphant and triumphant in the summer window. And like Samuel said, Barcelona are just pulling out all the tricks in the book. They they know that United are there. They know the players surplus to requirements really, and they know they can try and milk some more money out of United. So I still do think it will happen. If it happens for the right reasons or not is a different matter. But United. Obviously, they're in this difficult position that we've mentioned before, that this is a summer where they're trying to renew their reputation. They want to try and move away from being these pushovers in the transfer market and, and start driving the hard bargains themselves. They want to be more well, firmer, don't they, in terms of what they are prepared and, and not prepared to, to pay. But it's still United at the end of the day. And like I said, if the Ronaldo saga sort of continues a bit longer and their their luck is getting worse and worse, the way to appease the fans is to sign Frankie de Jong and then say, this is the player we've been tracking for years. We've been scouting him since this time. You know, he's been our top target and we managed to secure him. And yeah, United can try morph the narrative there into a summer of success uh, and importantly Ten Hag does want him and the fact is United have addressed the need um, to sign a player like Kim who's progressive in midfield who can help them move the ball forward quicker help them keep possession better can have the direct passing range that they, they require he can break the lines you know he, he has all those metrics that fans love all the buzzwords you can throw up about De Jong and the fact is there's no one else really who who else is in that mould that United want this summer, really? The, the sort of drop-off in alternatives just isn't the same. I know United will keep saying, well, if this deal doesn't go through, we'll keep looking at alternatives. But to me, it seems like they, they are set on De Jong and, and De Jong only at this moment in time. So, yeah, it, for me, it still is a matter of when rather than if. It just requires United or Barcelona to budge. And I think there will come a time where, where both teams compromise, really, on that. I hope so. And fingers crossed it will get done sooner rather than later, one way or another. But... To say they've not signed anybody yet this summer, it's proven to be a transfer-dominant episode, this one. And sticking with that trend, Samuel, you reported this morning that United hope to try and get five deals done by the time the tour comes to an end. Considering they've not got one through the door on July the 4th, it's an ambitious target, isn't it? Yes, very much so. I, 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 when I was curating my tweet for that, I thought I can't just report this straight <laughs> as a headline. I need to, you know 
kind of reflect the the sheer the sheer preposterousness or ludicrousness of it. Um, if if they do get five signed by the end, then then fair dues. I mean, it, it doesn't seem as I don't think it's a mission impossible, really. I think it's not like an assignment that, that Tom Cruise would, would scoff at or anything like that. I mean, they, they have put a bid in for Martinez. A backup goalkeeper should be pretty gettable pretty quickly, uh, particularly if they take Rich's and Sergio Romero's recommendation, which I think has would would would, uh, would be uh, eminently uh, sensible, but it remains to be seen if United go down that avenue. And, of course, you know, we've just... De Jong, I'm starting to even tire of hearing his name at the moment, so I'm, I'm reluctant to, <laughs> to, to to utter it anymore after that. The, the previous question, uh, I mean, they they do need looking at the squad. They do need five signings minimum, and uh, I think I've or normally I've been saying six signings, but it's, you're struggling to count now. But the fact that it looks like the first incoming is going to be a left back, which okay, that that is an area where. They do need an upgrade. Uh, they could do with reinforcing, but it's not as pressing an area as centre back, right back, defensive midfield, uh, right side of attack. Given the Ronaldo situation, a goal scorer as well. There are there are five or six positions um, that are more pressing than that. And and the main target of of Ten Hag's is 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 De Jong, who's who's a controlling midfielder. So you, you're talking, as I said, six positions where they they're more in need of um, an upgrade or, or, or a player to come in and, and maybe be a certain starter in that role than at left-back. And Malassia is going to be competing with with Shaw. It's, it's pretty clear that given his age and given his profile, uh, he's he's there to keep Shaw on his toes and, and, and maybe maybe take his place at some point or another. But he is, he is starting out from, from a very low level, um, you know, playing the Feyenoord and Eredivisie football. And was in, he was in the Europa Conference League as well last season. Credit to him, he's, he's in the Netherlands squad and he, he might be in, in their World Cup squad as well. But although Luke Shaw has had literally one one very good season with United out of eight, he he's still by, by people at the club at least he's still re- recognised as their you know as as their eminent fullback if you like the, the fullback who's got a high ceiling and he has shown that before we we saw it in during the 2020-21 season and he carried that momentum into the European Championship but the, the hangover last year was you know, pretty pretty drastic to say the least it was a massive it was just such a drastic drop off in form from a lot of players but given how well Shaw and Maguire had had done for England they they just look unrecognisable from how they'd performed during the Euros but again as I said you the, the way United phrased it to me a few months ago was that they were open to making signings in in every position and when you go through the squad that that is pretty much the case. I think maybe the only area where you would say, okay, there's absolutely no chance of them signing anyone for that area would be the left wing. Uh, yet the Telegraph have done a report today said that United were prepared to spend um, spend more than Ajax on on Stephen Bergwine. And it's you know we, we've joked already about oh you've got to be. Dutch or playing in the Eredivisie or an Ajax player or a former Ajax player to be wanted by Ten Hag. And obviously Stephen Bergwijn is, is Dutch, but there would be, you know, the Telegraph is obviously it's a, it's a renowned publication, but there would be absolutely no sense whatsoever to signing someone who has spent two and a half years at Tottenham and, and 
probably peaked on his debut with with that goal against Manchester City. Just no rhyme or reason to signing him. So the left the left wing has got to be the only area where you'd say you do not need a player there. Um, you do not need a player there for maybe maybe ten years even. Um, but as I said, you know, the word from United is that they're open to reinforcing in, in just about every other area. But I don't for one minute, and I don't think any of you two do believe that they're going to be getting players for what ten other positions. Um, you know, we're, we're getting back to Ralph Ralph Rangnick's days there, and United have already done a pretty good job of distancing themselves from everything uh, Ralph Rangnick had to say about the club. Yeah, certainly. And Rich, Samuel mentioned there about obviously pretty much every area realistically is up for strengthening. Myself and you have sometimes chatted about the possibility of an upgrade at right back. Do you think it's surprised that United have maybe prioritised going for a left back in Malaysia rather than a right back considering obviously concerns about Dallow and Wan-Bissaka's long-term futures? Yeah, I, I, I didn't see a left back. I certainly had to urgently address this summer at all. I thought it would be typical United really just to try to get by for one more season with with what they've already got. And also the fact that in reserve, you've got Alvaro Fernandez, who's just won under 23's player of the year. You've got Brandon Williams, who has played there before. Okay, not someone that they do actually want to keep anymore. That opens offers for him this summer. But I did think that, you know, you can get by for one more season while you try and address the real pressing issues. So, yeah, it has come as a, as a surprise to me. And I think that, you know, Joe Godalo, he's got a, a great sort of work ethic and attitude. But for me, he's always... I only ever looked like a really decent reserve option to have. I still don't quite see him ever solidifying the the right back role going forward because I've just never been truly convinced but convinced by him. I don't think he's good enough going forward and I don't think he's good enough at the back either. So, you know, he is sort of maybe a Europa League standard right back, which which does suit United for next season. But I think long term it is an area they need to address. Wan-Bissaka still will be difficult maybe to get him off their books. Obviously, alone probably the most likely in terms of getting rid of him. I know Samuel's done a line previously that he has been actively offered to, to clubs this summer if something does come in. But yeah, for me, I would have I would have gone for, for a right-back. I would have prioritised it. And I know you've done a piece as well in the past, George, sort of suggesting that Denzel Dumfries might be someone, of course. He's Dutch, so tick that, that bingo card again. You know, anyone who, who is from the Netherlands is, is a candidate basically to sign for United this summer. But it's yeah, it's a really interesting one. I mean, they might have gone for Alexander Butner again if he was available. Anyone is is available for United who's Dutch. So we will see. We'll see, won't we? Um it's gonna be an interesting one because there are so many sort of other issues to, to address. And again, right back, it is something that needs to to be looked at, but do United actually have the, the time and the resources to, to address it this summer? It's a real, real tough one, especially, you know, if Martinez comes, then the, the emphasis is again on getting more, rid of more centre-backs, which, which they want to do. And you can almost see the right-back area being neglected again this summer. I mean, you, you do hope that United have someone lined up and they can make some materialise, because like I said, I'm not convinced by anyone who's there at the moment, but whether that happens or not is a completely different story. And I guess you've just got to trust Ten Hag. Like we said, you can, you can definitely see it as a positive that he's been back to get Malassia because there wasn't an urgent need for him. And it shows that United are giving Ten Hag the freedom to get at least who he wants. It shows that, you know, he doesn't want any complacency there because Shaw looked like one of the only certainties to start his games next season. And that still is the expectation. But the fact that there's in there, as when Teller signed, it brought the best out of Shaw. So, yeah, it's a really interesting one. But with so many other issues in the squad, 
a part of me still thinks United could go into next season without the right back they need. Yeah, I would agree with that. And lastly, on the transfer front, Samuel reported over the weekend that there's an offer gone in for Lissandra Martinez at Ajax. Highly versatile player, can play at centre-back, left-back or in defensive midfield. Obviously, given United's desperate need for a defensive midfielder, Samuel, do you think he is a player that could slot in, slot in there, even though he played predominantly as a centre-back last season? I've read on Sunday that apparently he considers himself as somebody who would step over dead bodies to win matches for his team. <laughs> do you think he's somebody that would be ideal for what United need in that defensive midfielder with that sort of character and application? I'm, I'm going to throw our colleague Liam Corliss under the bus here because I was the one who said this, but he said the, the vibe he was getting and everything he read about Martinez was uh, was just like a Marcus Rojo Mark II, which might be might be harsh of Liam, but given that you know Martinez is Argentinian, uh, that they see him as this pit bull-like figure, which, I mean, it, it is stereotyping quite a lot of South American players. It's I don't think it's something that people... Do like in, in, in a prejudiced way whatsoever, but there are certain South American players. Um, Arsenal signed the I can't remember Uruguayan's name who they got off their boots quite Tolera. recently. Yes, yeah, I mean he was in the same mould. Um, was it Gary Mendel at Cardiff? Was a similar yeah. player. You know, they, Gary Medell, yeah, yeah, Gary Medell. They, they are all cut from the same cloth because they have that mentality towards playing and. It, it works for their national teams and it's it's something to admire and it's something that supporters get behind. And I think that's, although United's hit rate with Argentinian players is not particularly good at all, the, the, the best Argentinian that has played for the club is is legit, it's, it's Romero. The better players have played for United than Romero, but he was the best performer by far. Um, but United fans do buzz off having Argentinians in in, in the team. There's they they feel a, an affinity towards them. So I don't think that if they were to sign Martinez, that he'd have any problems winning the crowd over or um, getting supporters on his side at all whatsoever. I, I honestly have not seen enough anywhere near enough of him uh, to be able to judge whether he's absolutely uh, right to be a defensive midfielder or, or as a centre back. I think he is being bought as a centre-back first and foremost because United have, have wanted, are targeting a left-footed centre-back. Um, they, they did compile a shortlist and obviously uh, in the case of Martinez, he's familiar to Ten Hag and he plays in the Odivisi, hence why United are going for him. It, it is a, quite a big shift from Timber, who of course was the, the main priority at first and it's just further proof that this whole scouting system at United it's it's almost as if you know if, if Ten Hag did indeed receive a bunch of reports on him he's just got them he's just torn them like that and said these are the players that I want please try and go and get them um, there's no way if Ralph Rangnick was staying on as had stayed on as a consultant he'd have heard all these names whether they were Ajax players former Ajax players players in the Odivisi and just nodded his head approvingly it just wouldn't have happened and that's why he didn't last a week under Ten Hag uh, he, he went before his consultancy contract even kicked in and look Rangnick's profile of um signings and, and his recruitment hit rate is mainly players who were developed in, in Germany and Austria and that, that's to be accept, expected because uh, you know he, he's obviously that those are the countries that he's worked in predominantly during his coaching career so you're bound to have a proclivity for that type of player Ten Hag has a proclivity for um, you know clearly players who, who who are familiar or have been educated in, in Dutch football 
I would, you know, te- Rangnick was not a good United manager, but he knows what he's doing when it comes to recruitment. And you only have to look at the benefits um, that, that Liverpool have reaped from signing those kind of players um, who, who obviously were, were taken from, from clubs in, in Germany and, and, and Austria. And some of them have been have been their best players in, in, in recent years. And whereas with with the Dutch league, Simon Cooper touched upon it at the weekend. He, Simon Cooper's come kind of like, I think he was born in Britain, or he's he's British, but he's he's Dutchified. He, he grew up in Holland. He's an Ajax fan. He, he openly questioned why United were just recruiting players aligned with a manager from a very small country where the hit rate in recent years, in particular, has not been very good. Players going from that league to the Premier League. When most look at the shelf life of United managers in the last nine years, the the longest didn't even last three years. So it is a risky strategy because if if it doesn't work out with Ten Hag, you are then saddled with a lot of players who, under the next manager, their face probably wouldn't fit. So you're you're banking a lot on Ten Hag being a success, and maybe he will be a success, and maybe it will work out. But it is very much a risky strategy. Just I mean, I asked. Side by Kofsky at the weekend is obviously our, our chief city writer, who've who've city signed from from Yeo Divisi in recent years, and the only one um, uh, who's actually you know had any any real fulfilling playing time was Angelino, and of course he was in City's academy. They sold him, then they bought him back, and he lasted six months because he was one of the biggest reasons why they didn't win. The only time they didn't win the league in the last four four or five years was because of his ineptitude in that performance against Am- uh, Liverpool at Anfield. And he was also dreadful against United when they won 2-1 at the Etihad. And just looking at City's transfer history under the um, Ab- Abu Dhabi uh, uh, ownership, I think he is literally the only first-team player that they've signed from the Eredivisie. United have signed three. Two of them got transfers after 18 months. Daly Blind was a decent player, but he still left after four years and he went back to Ajax. He didn't go on to a bigger or better things. I think he could have gone to a better club than Ajax, but he went back to Ajax. So there are a hell of a lot of red flags that they are ignoring to back Ten Hag. And they have to hope that Ten Hag is a good enough coach to make the players even better in what is undeniably the most intense league in the world at the most possibly the most scrutinised sporting institution on the planet. Certainly, it's going to be one of those cases where time will tell and we'll see how things progress on that front. Just lastly, to wrap this uh, episode up, Rich, the international contingent of Man United players have reported back to Carrington on Monday morning. Really feels like the countdown is officially on now to the start of the season with the likes of Harry Maguire and Bruno Fernandes back in, back in training. Yeah, and that's only good news now for Ten Hag, isn't it? I mean, obviously... A notable absence, but it means that this week can be focused on at least preparing, you know, these new players not only to to get them up to fitness again, but to really implement the ideas he has and to have these important chats as well about you know with them ahead of the preseason tour. I mean, the captaincy issue, you know, still needs to to be resolved, doesn't it? The playing style, he's going to have to make promises to players about how they're going to fit in and, and consult them about this long-term vision he's got. And like you said, even people like Luke Shaw, he needs to reassure him and say, look, we are buying a new left back, but you still are my number one. So there's lots of sort of just chats he has to have and he just needs to to try and get his vision in, in shape just to meet his players, get to know them as people as much as, as footballers. You know, he'll already know what United's players are, are like, but it's what they're like as, 
as human beings, what drives them, how can he manage them this season going ahead, who he can make promises to, even have some honest conversations with those on the fringes about what, what their own ambitions are at the club and, and just try and work out what he is going to be you know, working alongside. And obviously the, the, the tour is the, the main sort of time for that melting pot to, to all come together. But yeah, it's, it's in sight now as well. And yeah, it's going to be a very busy few weeks ahead and what we're recording this on Monday and it's a week tomorrow that United kickstart their pre-season campaign against Liverpool. So there's lots of United fans to look forward to. Hopefully some new signings on the way. Like, like we said, it could be two of them at least on, on the plane when it takes off on Friday. So yeah, there's a lot to look forward to. And yeah, bring it on. Bring it on indeed. It's going to be a very interesting few weeks, I'm sure, just for us and for the fans as well. But that's all we've got time for on today's edition of the Manchester's Red Podcast. Um, stick with us for all the very latest United news ahead of the squad flying out to Thailand in a few days' time. Once again, thank you very much for listening and please make sure to subscribe and leave a like if you haven't already. Take care and we'll catch you again very, very soon.